0: Hey folks, this is Manny Dela Cruz, finally out of hiding. It happened. Uh, Part of my New Year's resolution was not to miss a week, but guess what? I could not um, beat the adjustments that are required given the current COVID-19 situation. And in all honesty, look, the week before... Uh, last, my family and I, we took our vacation, and I had, you know, I was cutting it close to begin with, but uh, certainly the, uh, the the current situation turned everything upside down. And and we took took an RV trip and went out west, and we're in the, you know, pretty isolated areas. And uh, hey, look, not having connection causes not to be uh, fully up to speed with what was happening. So when we got back uh, last Saturday, uh, and my brother started texting us and telling us just what was happening and people running out and. Getting crazy buying stuff, and look—you don't want to panic, but you know, hey, I got family, so I had to find that balance, and you know, got home, and the day after vacation, went and uh, and, and found some groceries. Thankfully, blessed enough to find what we needed, uh, no more, no less, and things have been great since. But uh, yeah, when it came time to then figuring out, well, what the heck's gonna happen with work, and am I gonna have to work from home? And uh, of course, for most of you that know, I am—I work for Exxon Mobil, so hey the market is not uh, good right now if anyone who's in the energy sector and really uh, and that trickles to everybody we could have a whole discussion of why i think this affects everybody the time oil price goes down but anywho i digress and when you come back and the price of crude uh plummets the way that it did hey there are some uh there are some uh, it's time to now earn your paycheck i just i'll just put it to you that way right so in my role, hey, priority number one with everything turned upside down. I had to figure out what working from home was going to look like and also had to figure out what, uh, you know, once they started canceling school and my wife works from home. So family and work uh, was priority number one, making sure we were healthy and so on. And so I missed an episode. And so here we are uh, this week. I'm going to uh, released this one episode. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's a conversation that I had with Yanet Borrego and I really hope that uh, you enjoy that conversation as always as much as I enjoy making them. It's a tough time for a lot of you out there so please reach out. I've been behind on some of my messages and for some of y'all uh, my timeliness uh, batting average I know I've gone way down but uh, I took some time today and will continue to do so so please 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 continue to reach out And I commend all of you that are adjusting and, and making the adjustments and look at the end of the day, I think we're going to come out of this okay. And, uh, and so again, uh, thanks for continuing to support. I saw that some of y'all were still listening to the podcast, even though there was a new episode catching up on some of episodes, uh, that's the thing to do. There's plenty of great stories, plenty of great content, and as always appreciate your support. So again, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, so, Yannette, thank you for making yourself available, even though I canceled on you a couple of times on account of uh, a family stuff. But uh, here we are on a, on a Sunday. And, uh, again, thanks for, thanks for making yourself available.
1: No problem at all, Manny. I'm super excited to be here, and most of all, I'm super excited to share my journey and my story uh, with everyone in the podcast, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: And, <laughs> and so, look, like I shared before, we got on the call, right? You were on my short list on account of a bunch of stuff that you've done, and so, look, we got a ton to cover, but uh, <laughs> my, my hope is that uh, we're able to hit all the aspects of uh, of, of what you have going on. And if we get towards the end and and I'm missing something, I will make sure and uh, we'll check ourselves at the end, okay? (laughs) And keep ourselves honest. Sounds
1: like a plan. I'm super excited. (laughs) All right. So
0: let's start off with the basics. Why don't you tell me who Yanet Borrego is?
1: Yes. So Yanet Borrego, so myself, I was born in Havana, Cuba, actually. And when I was nine years old, I moved with my mom to Mexico City because who was my stepfather at the moment, he got an assignment to work for the Cuban government in Mexico, and we went there for three years. So after three years, we were supposed to go back to Cuba, but my mom didn't want to go back because she wanted a better future for me. I was 12 years old when that happened, and we literally, when I was 12, we ran away. From going back to Cuba and then uh, from Mexico City, we went to Monterrey and we hid there for six months, just waiting for the perfect moment to go to a border and ask for political asylum. And so after six months of hiding in Monterrey, we went to a border, asked for political asylum. We got it because at that moment, Cubans had the right to remain in the United States once they, they touch American soil. So it was relatively easy. The challenging part was the journey to get there. (laughs) But once we got there, it was relatively easy. And then uh, the day after we had for political asylum, we went to Puerto Rico because my mom had an uncle in Puerto Rico. And he was helping us in this journey of getting there, getting to the U.S., and yeah, like I was 12 years old when I got to Puerto Rico and I did most of my high school there. And I actually did my chemical engineering degree in Puerto Rico. And during that moment, during those five years and a half that I did my engineering degree, I did a couple of internships in the oil and gas industry. And that's where I ended up working full time. I actually started in the Bayton Refinery. Uh, with ExxonMobil, and now I'm in consulting in Accenture, so that's a little bit of me (laughs) so
0: So, far. So you loaded it up all the way from, like, (laughs) seeking political asylum to working in (laughs) oil and gas, multiple internships, like... So, here you go, folks. This was it. this is and i and I'll be honest i did not I, I knew about some of the for some of the professional stuff. I had no idea that you 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 know of your experience when you were twelve so let's go back right so you're twelve years yeah. old uh, mm-hmm. did did you consider i mean I know this is going to sound a little like a like a like a duck question, but uh, I mean it wasn't a normal 12 year old upbringing what was what was that like for you at twelve? Did you have a, a, a like a, an idea of what was going on around you or were you just going along for the ride what was that like
1: I mean honestly it, it was more complicated than what I just said and when you when you are twelve years old you don't think much through experience. Like, in my case, I was just following my what my mom thought it was best for me. What I didn't say is that, you know, in Mexico City, we were living with my stepfather, who mm-hmm. was sent to Mexico with us to work for the Cuban government and um, but he was working for the security of Cuba. So when my mom took the decision to not go back to Cuba, we couldn't tell him, <laughs> I know it, it sounds intense but you know in a way the relationship was also deteriorated mm-hmm. so one day he just went to work and we had someone waiting for us downstairs and we just ran away but um, i remember my friends just making me a goodbye party because supposedly i was going back to cuba but i couldn't tell anyone that i was not going back to cuba So my mom trusted me enough to tell me at 12 years old, assuming that I was not going to tell any of my friends. But I remember, so I went to this goodbye party and they gifted me so many stuff. They gifted me cards and teddy bears, like everything you can imagine. And I remember before actually running away, just putting all of that in the trash because we couldn't take with us any of that like we literally had two bags and that was it and when being a kid I didn't think much through it but when you grow up as an adult I think um those things tend to affect you more when you didn't even know about it at the moment right so now that I've grown up I've developed more self-awareness about how those situations may have impacted me now, consciously and unconsciously. But at that moment, it was just a natural uh, journey for me just to follow what my mom thought was best.
0: (laughs) No, I can look and and there's a there there could be a whole conversation about like a mother's love and and what that means and and what the motivations will, will. will will cause a mother to do for for their children I was just like hey you're 12 years old and you're going along and yeah of course I knew it wasn't a typical 12 year old brain dealing with that there had to have been some level of accelerated maturity uh, to even be able to deal with some of that stuff for sure
1: for sure and even I mean even when we went to Puerto Rico uh, there were times that my mom couldn't afford and you know like the apartment and the school and thanks to the internship money that I had made I was the one you know taking financial charge at that age you know of of our lives so like you said like I had to grow up really quickly and my mom you know my mom wasn't my mentor in terms of like professional development I would say because You know, she didn't have much education. And I remember going back to the house and saying, Mom, I got an A. And she's like, is that good? Is that bad? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's good. But so she wasn't my mentor in the professional side, but she was my mentor and my example for selfless love. Yes. (laughs) Because she literally left everything she had in Cuba, material and non-material, for me to be where I am <laughs> right okay. now.
0: So so let's mm-hmm. talk right. So at some point, right, you 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 and your mom and did you have any siblings or is it just the two of you?
1: Just yeah, only child and yeah, okay. she's so, a single
0: mother still. <laughs> so so it's it's the two of you and you guys yeah. get to Puerto Rico, so you said hey you ended up going to high school there. Yeah. So at this point yes. things settle a little bit. I kind of want to start uh, hearing uh, your part of the story around how did you get uh, to be interested in engineering, right? So you're, you mentioned you're a chemical engineer. So take yes. me through that. All what right. was that? What, let let's things start to quote unquote normalize a little bit. You start to develop some interest. How do you end up an engineer?
1: Yeah, so I remember in my, you know, in the high school that I was in, just taking chemistry classes and being so interested. And not only that, I was really good at it, you know. So at that point that I'm really good at chemistry, I enjoy it. I started investigating uh, what are the options to continue my path, and chemical engineering came up. And actually, my, I didn't mention it, but my uncle, he still lives in Cuba. He's an engineer. So he was one of the persons that, that inspired me uh, to go into that route of engineering and chemistry was not a natural fit for me. So, and I knew in Puerto Rico, we had a good engineering school, which is my West. So it just made sense uh, to start going that route. And I really love problem solving. And I think engineering is a very agile discipline you can do so many things there are so many variations that you can work on I mean and I've done everything even I started in engineering I've done supply chain I've done consulting and that's what I love about engineering and chemical engineering is very versatile so that really caught my attention overall.
0: Okay, so you end up going to to the uh, University of Puerto Rico Mayagüez, right? That's where yeah. you where you mm-hmm. graduated from. What was that like? Uh, what was your college experience like? Uh, or did you get involved with organizations? Was it all academics oh my or God. What was that like?
1: Yeah. So I would say I've always been drawn towards people. And I've always been involved uh, in different organizations. So some of the ones I was really involved in was uh, the Society of Women Engineers. That was one of the, you know, I was the vice president of that society. And also of Cal Beta Pi, like the Engineering Honor Society. I was really involved in those two. Oh, and of course, I did, like the American Institute of Chemical Engineering. So I was, like, those were the top three that I was highly involved with, and I had, like, leadership roles and everything else. And my main objective was, you know, I'm always being passionate about helping others, and I thought that was also the right way to acquire leadership skills and be able to influence everyone
0: else around me.
1: So those were the top three.
0: Okay, and yep. so was it through those organizations then that you started to get your, your recruiting networking going somehow, right? So you said, hey, you ended up doing a couple of internships into oil and gas. So let's talk through that. How did, you, how did you get into these internships? And, of course, after that, we'll talk about those internships.
1: Yeah, so I would say, so it has definitely been a journey. I don't see my professional growth. I would say that the first year of college, I was mainly driven towards, you know, study hard and have good grades. And that was the only thing I did, right? I was like, yeah, just focusing on getting my grades up and just working through that. So my second year, I started to realize how important it is to have this industry experience. And I I was always driven during college, mainly due to my upbringing. I was like, hey, I have to do this for me, but more for me, to make my mom proud and to make this journey worth whatever happened in the past. And I remember my second year, I went for the first time to the job fair. And I was, I mean, I didn't know good English at all. Like I had never spoken fluently English. So that was one of the things that I was the most intimidated about, And I remember going to a job fair and I just made a round and then left the place. Uh, I didn't even try to be honest with you, but I'm like, you know, I need to find a way just to go through this fear that I'm having and just make this happen. So one of the things that I started doing was to, I went to an info session about the Hispanic scholarship Fund, And one of the things they were promoting is that if I would apply to a Hispanic scholarship fund and get the actual scholarship, I would get an opportunity to get an internship with Marathon Petroleum Company, which at that time, and I don't think they are right now, they have never recruited, Marathon have never recruited into the University of Puerto Rico, but to that scholarship, I had that opportunity. And the scholarship was based on your GPA, and I had to write three essays. It was three essays. It was pretty standard. So I applied, and I actually got it. And after I got it, they called me, and they are like, hey, we want to interview you. Marathon wants to interview you in Houston, Texas. So it's funny that I actually ended up here (laughs) a few years after. And, And I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And during that time frame, I was also, like, practicing interviews with inroads. Um, but I remember in the practice of those interviews, I was just reading, like, the answers that I had written in my computer. I wasn't even, like, speaking fluently, right? Because I wasn't comfortable with speaking English naturally. Okay. Um, and I remember just traveling for the first time ever by myself to Houston, Texas. And when I got there, realizing that I was the only person from the University of Puerto Rico. So, you know, I've been overall pretty outgoing in my life, pretty social, but inside I was really nervous and intimidated. And it's funny because the person who interviewed me from Marathon was the plant manager uh, of the Minnesota refinery. They had a refinery in Minnesota that they actually sold out a uh, few years later. And I remember that the first thing I said to this person is like, "Hey, my English is not the best, but I'm gonna try to do my best in this interview." And I- I'm someone that speaks a lot with my body language, so I think that has helped me a lot throughout my journey. And I mean, I think I did great in an interview, and I actually got the internship, and that was my first internship ever. It was very creative, the way I got it, but I I got it, and I was so proud um, that I started there. So I did one summer in the Minnesota Refinery. After that, I did two more summers there, and I ended my marathon journey uh, with a co-op in Illinois so I did I did like four I, I think I did like three or four terms with Marathon and then it's so funny because when I was doing the co-op in Illinois I, I I was always really passionate about ExxonMobil but the first time I interviewed I actually didn't get the opportunity but the person who interviewed me told me hey you have a great resume I keep doing the internships and what you can do next time is get leader oh yes, I remember get leadership roles in the organizations. Because at that time I didn't have them. So I started to work on that. And the next time ExxonMobil saw my resume, they called me and it's funny because I was doing my co op with Marathon in Illinois. So it was a phone interview. It wasn't even an in person interview. But after they interviewed me, they offered me a co-op in Baytown, in the Baytown Refinery. And that's where I started my journey with Exxon. I did a co-op, a summer internship, both in Baytown Refinery. And after that, they offered me a full time, and then that's how I got back into Texas.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so let's 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 pause a little bit there, right? And we'll come back yeah. to, to to the Exxon Mobil. But one thing that caught my attention, and I kind of want to uh, explore a little bit because I think you have you probably have some very valuable insight. So you had mentioned how hey, you're you're now a college student. And you're having to essentially learn how to have conversational English, right? Your English, yes. you say, was not that great, and so in yeah. recruiting, and you've been involved in recruiting too, right? We, we, we yeah. actually the way we met was through going to to a ship national convention, right? And, and going out yeah. and doing some recruiting,
1: and mm-hmm. so
0: I meet students all the time who uh, have uh, are burdened by where they're at with their the ability to speak with their accents, yeah. and it really dominates them. And it sounded like, and I say dominates in the sense that it hinders them from making progress and going to go do practice. And And, and I want to slow it down because you said a couple of things that kind of caught my attention that to me, I said, well, you, you, it sounded like you had a plan, but you were practicing interviews. You had written down scripts. You kind of admittedly yeah. say, admittedly, you say, hey, at the beginning, it was maybe a little bit more robotic where you were just reading but essentially you had had a plan so i want you to you know for those that are that, that might be listening who are i'm just going to i don't know what else to say but that are finding themselves hindered by their mm-hmm. ability to to navigate the english language and who are concerned about accents what, what, what would you tell those listeners
1: i mean honestly it is a journey and the first step of the journey you're going to feel fear no matter what. I, I think the first step of your journey is to recognize fear is normal to feel. Um, but fear shouldn't stop us to try to get where we need to go, right? To start our journey and do better for ourselves. And the most important thing is to just take a step forward. I mean, don't even think about it. The more you think about that fear that you have, the more you're going to contemplate it and the less you're going to act. It's, hey, I, I recognize that I have this fear, but this is not who I am. And the fact that I have an accent, I mean, that's something that now I can say, it took me years, but now I can say I'm really proud of And this is who I am and where I came from and recognizing your journey and recognizing who you are and being able just to move forward and try it. There are so many things you can do. I mean, even myself, after seven years of speaking English, I have an accent, you know, and I remember when I started even full time X on mobile, I would be afraid to speak up in front of audiences and ask questions because I had an accent. And I think the fear is normal, (laughs) but what it shouldn't be normal because we deserve the best is us representing ourselves and speaking up so people can also hear our voices because the fact that we come from a different background that brings diversity into a company and that brings different ideas. And that's where the value comes from all of us having different upbringings and different accents. And, and that's the beauty of these companies, you know? And yeah, I, I think it is important to let, not let the fear stop us, but rather don't overthink it and just do it for and, yourself.
0: And you said yeah. something there, right? Like, Hey, even when you came into the professional ranks like that, 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 uh, that there was still some hesitation there. And today you say like today, Hey, now you embrace it. You're proud of it. Can you talk or can you remember? Uh, and I, I always look to, to try and see if there was, if people had techniques or plans or was it solace in talking with other people, mentorship, like what can you contribute your ability to embrace it now to, to, to a single thing or a set of circumstances that help you get to where you're at today when it comes to talking about this particular item?
1: Totally. I mean, I would say one of the most important things in my life has been mentorship and has been networking and going out there and realizing that I'm not alone. And there is this huge support network and system that it will do, if we look for it, we are going to find it. So just talking with people that have gone through this same journey that I was going through and that sometimes I'm still going through, it is really important to empower us to keep moving forward. And I would say that has been the key contributor to my success uh, in that regard. Yep.
0: Okay. All right. So we're going to, I want to dive into mentorship, but we're going to pause it. We're going to come back because I think you got a very unique perspective in that too. And then you, you now, you've been serving as a mentor, but we'll come back to that. So let's go back and let's pick it up. So you, you, you had a internship with ExxonMobil. Well, you, you were told, you know, you met recruiters. They said, Hey, go work on some leadership. You interview, you get into ExxonMobil and that's what you did. Uh, That was your first, uh, uh, I guess, your first professional role, correct? So let's talk about that. Just briefly talk about your career at ExxonMobil.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, that was my first professional uh, role overall. When I first joined Beta Refinery, my first position was a capital project engineer. So I was designing local capital projects for the refinery uh, facilities and also the business case. And that role lasted like a year. What, what I really enjoy about Exxon is like they move you from position to position, like, you know, usually from one to two years at the beginning. So you have a good breadth of what they can offer and you can enhance your skills at the same time. Um, so I did that for one year, which was super fun and I learned a lot. And my second year, I did process engineering for the Hydrofiners. And that was, I mean, I enjoyed that role. That was very different than capital projects. I feel in capital projects, you could plan more your day and you can you could schedule your milestones. So it was more predictable. Now, as you know, <laughs> you have been in plants, many. Process engineering was like more hectic in the sense that, you know, sometimes, Things happen all the time and the plan is operating 24 7 and it requires our support. But one of the things that I really appreciated and I learned the most was doing catalyst changeouts and turnarounds. And when I was in the plant, just working with contractors and I was actually working night shift, which was fun because I had never done it. <laughs> and it, it, <laughs> it was fun and hectic too. But I, I like change, so it was a, <laughs> a nice change to my routine. And we were inspecting distillation towers and reactors, so it was really nice to see the reactor in the drawings and see it there firsthand, inside and outside. So I was uh, at the beginning, I was really afraid. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but once I got the gist of it and I did it a couple of times, it actually started becoming super fun. And so I did two years in there, in the plant, right? And even when I started in ExxonMobil, and I think this is one of the things that have helped me a lot, I I became super passionate about understanding who I was as a person. because that's something that, honestly, we are not taught in school, just to look inward and see what are our needs and what is our why of doing things and what are the things that fulfill us as a person. And I know for you, it's like, hey, helping STEM students uh, and doing this podcast. So after two years, I went within myself and I started to realize I wanted to try a more commercial role. And Exomol is a huge organization, so I wanted to know what was out there. And uh, one of the things that I would recommend anyone in any corporation or any job is you have to take control of your career. And this is something I, I didn't know at the beginning, and I seen a lot of students when they get their first full-time job. Um, I mean, your supervisor is gonna help you naturally. But you're the one who needs to drive your career based on your needs. And I remember talking to my supervisor in Baytown and she was like, Janet, I know you want to make a change, but I don't know what is out there. So you'll have to figure it out and interview different people. And I was like, awesome. I'll take the challenge. So I interviewed like 12 different organizations because I wanted to know what was out there, right? And I had a good supervisor at that moment. So she was the one who gave me guidance and told me, hey, start looking outside of Baytown because the only thing I know is what is in Baytown. So she was very honest, which I really appreciated. And yeah, I started to interview every kind of organization in ExxonMobil. And one of the ones that really caught my attention was supply chain procurement. And I remember asking the person who I talked to for the name of their supervisor. I was like, hey, can you give me the name of your supervisor? And that name, I literally gave it to my supervisor at the moment. And she started contacting that supervisor and they made it happen. But taking control of the career, it's really important to know which was something I didn't know at all. I was like, well, my supervisor knows my needs. She should be able to figure it out. I told her what I want, but I mean, part of us is also taking responsibility for that change and driving that because you need to come up with the solution too, right? Our supervisors are great, but we also need to do the work and help them drive that.
0: So, let's let's talk about that, right? So you threw something in there. That because uh, I've been a supervisor, right, I was a super, a second line before, uh, in two different roles in the plant, one for engineering and one for operations. So I've been there. But I'm curious, you you had said something. Hey, you're, you went to your supervisor saying this is mm-hmm. what I want. She tells you, Yannette, I don't know what's out there. What was exactly. your, your what was your first impression of that or, or or maybe even hindsight comments? Like, what do you say to someone who thinks that the supervisor should be the expert of all things?
1: Oh, my God, not at all. I mean, supervisors are just like us, like human beings. And sometimes there are young supervisors that they haven't had the time to experience a lot of things that the company has to offer naturally, right? And these corporations are huge. Not even in a lifetime, you will know everything that the corporation has to offer, so the best they can do is be honest with you. I mean, there is nothing wrong with not knowing. And that's really admirable that they actually tell you, you know, like, hey, I don't know. You'll, you'll have to help me figure this out. But the most important thing is that they support you, which at that moment I had this great supervisor. And she supported me through the journey. But, yeah, what what I would say is like. Don't take things personally, right? Like the supervisors, they don't know everything. And we are the ones that are in charge of our careers. So if we want something to happen, we need to drive that change and help the supervisor get us there Uh, because a lot of things are not under their control, right? And they have, of course, other people and other things they are working on. But uh, well, the most important thing is having someone and working with someone who is willing to help you, and then you taking control of getting there and going through that journey.
0: Yeah, and and I um, and yeah. for sure that's been the case. Like even for me, just to kind of add to your point, like yes, there is an element of hey, you have to understand what the reporting order is, and you have to understand what your supervisor yeah. can and 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 you know is in a position to do, but that doesn't mean that I excuse myself from making it easy for them, right? For him or her to so go Alan. tell my story or to go out there and promote me for things that I want. And so yeah, I consistently am a am a huge fan of what I call self-advocating, right? Go out there, meet yeah. different people and and make it easy for someone else to uh tell your story by sharing, right? Or or at least putting together what your your narrative is. So I
1: agree. Yeah.
0: So at one point, right? So you had gotten into recruiting. That's where we met. And so let's talk a little bit about that. How long did you do recruiting, or what was that like for, for you?
1: So I actually, um, and and I want to I want to say something else, Manny, if you don't mind, about the previous topic. Sure. So one of the things. Um, So, in school, everything is very linear in a way. You work hard, you get good grades, right? When you enter into a professional world, some of that is true, but there are different varieties that now we need to work on. And I remember being in my first internship and just being focused on the work, and then there was this intern that was doing the same quality of work, and she was networking, and she was probably doing a better job because people were were knowing what her story was about. While, while I was just in my room doing the work and no one knew about me. So, you know, the professional life is just not only about working hard because that will bring you good results. That's probably true in the first years. But I, the point I want to make is like networking. And like you say, just telling your story and letting people know what you're doing. It's so important. And that's something that at the beginning I just didn't know. So, anyways, that's something I
0: wanted to say. <laughs> no, I appreciate you adding that. Yeah, because that's key. Like you said, it can be that just vocalizing and sharing what you do can be a distinction for some folks around your overall performance, right? Wrong writer indifference, yes. it's the truth. <laughs> exactly.
1: No, I, I love it. Um, yeah, so I'll go back to recruiting. So, I actually, oh, yes. I remember this. Okay. So I actually started recruiting when I was in Baytown. I think it was my second year. And one of the members that was super active, he's right now a mechanical manager. Uh, we are good friends. But one of the members I remember, he was supposed to go to the Maest conference. And for some reason, he couldn't go. And at that time, I was a side lead for Baytown for the, you know, Hispanic ERG for the Goal, like Global Organization for the Advancement of Latinos. And he offered me his place Uh in the MAES recruiting. And that's how I met, you know, you and everyone else in the team. And because I started to get super involved, then I was included in the future events. Uh, But I also did recruiting for the University of Puerto Rico, Maya West. So I was involved in both organizations. And... I don't know, recruiting is something that involves, you know, it involves a lot of work, a lot of time, but even though it's one of the things that makes me feel energized after all that hard work, because just, I mean, you know, man, just being with the students and sharing your story and seeing them excited about what is to come is one of the most rewarding things, you know, for me.
0: For sure. No, I, I, for sure, every time I go to a a conference, a leadership conference, a regional retreat or something, it's always like you said, it's re-energizing, right? Just like, okay, this is, this is part of the journey is, is, you know, plugging away, advancing, but also going back, telling, you know, our experiences and, and then just helping those along the way. So for sure. So no, I, you, you were a big hit with the team. We all liked, we all loved you. And you know, <laughs> Hey, but so you said something key. You said, Hey, throughout the whole time, you were always trying to explore, uh, you and who you were. And somewhere in there, you made the decision to, to move on. So let's start yeah. talking about that. Let's talk about, and, and I do want to know, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what your, your current experience is and, and what you're doing with your current, uh, with your current company.
1: Yes, yeah, so I and I was thinking about this earlier on. I think you know, I think that one of the objectives of life is to get to know who we are, you know, at the deepest of our core. And exploration is, uh, you know, the key to get there. Just exploring different opportunities and seeing what is out there within the same company that you are in or outside, you know, whichever works for you, and. Um, so I've been someone that I'm highly entrepreneurial and I, want, I like to think outside the box and I like to share my story and see what is out there. So one of the industries that I have been always interested in is in consulting, which has this like entrepreneurial spirit and you being your own CEO in a way. So after six years of being with ExxonMobil, which I loved, um, I had this opportunity to go into consulting with Accenture and actually on January 23rd, it was my, <laughs> it was my first anniversary with Accenture uh, and I'm a newly promoted manager. So Congratulations. I was really excited. Thank you so much. I was like, yes, yeah, so excited. Um, and one of the things, you know, I, I mentioned this about networking, But I didn't realize how important your networking was until I joined Accenture because in consulting, your network defines a lot of things. You know, when I, when I joined Accenture as an experienced hire, and and to be honest with you, coming as an experienced hired in any organization, and even if you change organization within the same company, that's like starting from scratch, you know, because you need to build your own network. You in, in consulting, you even have to find your own project. But to me, that was the exciting part of making things happen and taking control of your journey and deciding what you want to work on, right? And finding that project. <laughs> and after you find that project, you feel so proud. You know, it's the first time I found a project in consulting. So I think... Building that network for me was substantial. And I've been pretty social, so that that comes to me very naturally. But at the same time, I was actually three months, uh, you know, that I didn't have a project. But after that, thankfully, since then, I've been able to be chargeable. But in those three months, to me, the key was, like, being patient in the journey. Because when you are making a big change... You always have to unlearn what you have learned in the past, because right now, you know, the format is different and the people are different and the culture is different. You have to learn new ways of doing things. and uh, But that's the refreshing part that you need to adapt your brain over and over to follow through a new journey. And... So right now in Accenture, I work in what they call the industry consulting practice. So it's aligned to oil and gas. So the clients that I support are always oil and gas. And I've been doing, for the most part, a strategy projects. And some of them, they are uh, very digital oriented. And some of them are process oriented. One of my first projects was to redesign the operating model of a procurement organization and that lasted like two to three months and then the second project is in the upstream space which consulting is really interesting because most of my experience in exxon was downstream i would say and now i go into consulting and i get to choose what i want to work on and in this case was upstream which i didn't i mean i knew some but not a lot so It's all about you taking control of that learning and developing yourself, right? And so now I'm in upstream doing another strategy project and it's just identifying digital opportunities about how we can support our clients to get to their production goal in like two years. So right now in the current state that they are in, they cannot get there. So we are just identifying these key opportunities and automation processes to help them get there using technology or just using process-oriented opportunities. So that's what I'm doing right now.
0: That's pretty cool. So you got, I mean, certainly your experience at ExxonMobil. Is help to you, right? Because you're still yeah. dealing with oil and gas. But Lord. you said something. You said something there that I kind of, I kind of want to get your opinion or a little bit more insight. You said, "Hey, changing companies was there's a bit of an adjustment. You kind of think you said you kind of have to start over." And you also made the the analogy that, well, even if you're within an organization, there's going to be a yeah. bit of a, of a reset, I guess. So, talk about that. What was some of the challenge that you oh, had, and me. how did you get over it?
1: Honestly, and I'm going to start with ExxonMobile. When I switched to procurement, you know, it's a total different beast than being a process engineer because I was more familiar with what I had studied for five years and a half being a chemical engineer. But when I decided to switch into procurement, that I don't even know what SAP is, (laughs) and I have to learn all these people, and I have to learn a new language completely about what procurement was, was was challenging and building, again, my networking procurement because I didn't know anyone. And what I would say in those moments, one, be patient with yourself, you know, be compassionate towards yourself because you're going to need it. And the second one, my first year, I focused on getting so good at what I was doing. And I'm going to be honest, you know, the networking was priority number two. But I wanted to be I wanted to have my foundation straight and so strong that after knowing how to do my work, I could focus in on the networking and on the recruiting and everything else. And to me, that was the key to success when I did that within ExxonMobil. Focusing on knowing the language, building that foundation strong, so I put later on focus on the networking and the, the plus ones activities that I was doing in Exxon. And but now when I change Exxon, I mean this it it was the first time after six it's like broken it's like breaking up with a you know, a long term relationship. Okay. It was really no, I'm no it was really stressful for me because I really love the people. And to me it was more about the people rather than the the work, you know? Because to me that's the key of everything and i was i remember being so nervous even when i talked to my supervisor to tell him that i was leaving um but i was like you know doing the consulting i think aligns more with my values and who i am so taking that step further to align with who you are as a person that's what kept me driven and in those moments that you you decide to do a big change i think it's important to have a really strong why why am I doing this? Because naturally, we become attracted to what we are familiar with. So even when I started consulting, again, it was learning a new language and building a new network, and I kind of started missing what I was familiar with, not because I didn't think it was the right choice of moving to consulting, but our brain are wired to the predictable future you know they are wired to get used to again what we are familiar with so just recognizing that and being self-aware that that's natural. Again, fear is natural, fear of the unknown. <laughs> and that was what's happening to me. I had to be patient. I had to keep learning, keep learning, and get familiar with the process. But one year after, I can say that I'm, I'm really happy about the decision I took.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. And look, and you had mentioned, and, and I think there's this overarching theme throughout this entire conversation we've had so far, where you were were saying hey you were always you're always doing introspective thinking right you're always taking yeah. the time to figure out where you're at with your particular stage in life evaluating what's going on ask questions you know get mentors and then you start making changes if that's where the results of your introspective thinking go right so That's right. I want to, now let's go back to mentorship. So I think one big part for you, and you've mentioned, uh, I think there's been different people uh, that have kind of uh, helped you along the way. And earlier when I said, hey, let's pause on mentorship, you were talking, we were talking about the, you know, the, the, the language thing, right? And then just your, 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 your history and stuff. And you said, hey, there's always some sort of, it helps to find people that have been through something like you, right? And so something. Something that's really embedded in that statement that I kind of want to unwrap a little bit is like, hey, when people think mentorship, they think, hey, I need someone to help me how to write a resume and how to interview. And it's like, I think the most fulfilling mentorship happens when it gets a little bit more personal, maybe a lot more Mm -hmm. personal where you're actually able to tackle stuff. So can you give me give me your take on what you think? a good mentorship relationship looks like or what you can aspire to to actually help you make uh, changes or decisions along the way?
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, mentor is someone that has gone through the journey that you are going through. So that person can mentor you through that process or that journey. And what a good mentorship looks like is someone that you are comfortable enough that you can relate to that you can say hey she is not the same as me but she's similar like me so I can if she did it I can do it right so it's that someone who empowers you and support you and it's also honest with you so when you are not doing things the right way that person will say hey I believe based on my experience you should do it decently. But at the end, it's about you choosing where you want to go, right? Like like you say, looking inside and thinking, what is the best for me? But the mentor will be like that person that is going to talk to you about his or her experience, right? And all of us are different, so the experience may differ. But I think, and this reminds me of something, when I was in Beytown Refinery in my second year also, I participated in a community college STEM mentorship program. And that program was about inspiring community college students to transfer to four year universities and and study an actual bachelor, right? And I was matched with two students. And this was like seven, six, seven years ago. And today I still meet with them. So, but the mentorship program was for one quarter. But after that quarter passed, I asked myself, is mentorship a one quarter thing? Or is mentorship, you know, kind of a lifelong process? So that's why I took the decision after that first quarter to still meet with them every month. And for years, we met every month. And now I can proudly say that from a community college, they transferred to U of H, they completed their bachelor, and right now they have full-time jobs. And so to me, that was one of the most rewarding and the most constant relationships I've had in my life, (laughs) which (laughs) I'm very proud of. I always joke about it because it's true. But I remember the first time they saw me, because they knew I was a chemical engineer. The first time they saw me, they told me, wow, I didn't know that a chemical engineer could look just like us. When I thought of a chemical engineer, I thought of someone, you know, arrogant with heels and that we couldn't relate to because we didn't know this was possible for us. (laughs) and right now seven years after that's something that I still remember that they told me because one of the most powerful things in mentorship is to be able to relate and to be able to know that if someone went through that it's also possible for us and that's why mentors are role models you know those are yeah go ahead.
0: I was going to say would you say they're more like friendships now?
1: Yes totally and yeah, I learned so much from them. So they are kind of my mentors. Too. <laughs>
0: yeah. So that was good, that, and and I and you said it there. Like you said, this has been a six year. I mean, it yes. started off as mentorship, but now it exactly. turns into friendships. And so, like when yes. I talk to students, I say, "Hey, like my personal journey has is." Definitely taken mentors, and heck, yeah. even just getting into ExxonMobil was a three year ordeal. And I still have, you know, here I am now, nine years later. So I've had people that helped me as a student, you know, 12, 13 years ago that are still in my life. And, and the lines between Amazing. between mentorship and friendship have long past been blurred. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, 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 totally. and I think, and I think in those circumstances, they become. A lot more fulfilling. I, I too often see a young student or a young professional who are looking for the, well, I want to be part of this mentorship program and they're going to sign me a mentor at my work and we're going to be paired together for a year and in one year I'm going to solve world hunger and they don't and they feel dissatisfied. And I'm like, wow, you, I don't think you're, I, I think that in those cases, people's views in their head as to what mentorship is and that it's going to be a quick fix are probably unrealistic. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I agree with you, Manny, that that transition into friendship and being able to get more personal. That's the most rewarding thing.
0: (laughs) Right. So I love it. And along the way, too. Right. So you're you're working, doing mentorship, but you've done so many other things. And before this call, we talked about, you know, you've you've done some leadership training. You've done the John Maxwell thing, the Tony Robbins thing. Uh, you know, you're doing the NLP practitioner, master practice. So I want you to start talking about, and to me, these are all, you know, this is, comes from your constant, uh, desire to fully understand who you are and to make adjustments where needed. So let's start talking about all that stuff that isn't, you know, all the after hour stuff, I guess, right. Yeah. That that you're doing on your (laughs) own time. Right. And then I definitely in there want to talk about this, uh, this 100-day uh, meditation challenge that you did as well, because I think that's uh, pretty impressive. So I'll let you unravel that as, as you will. Okay.
1: Thank you so much, Manny. So I, I really started to get involved into personal development and trying to get to know myself better when I started my full-time job. And I realized things were not as linear as they were in college. So I'm like, okay, there is something here. There is something here to explore. And that's me, one, and that's others. You know, why why I'm behaving certain ways and why others behave those different ways and how can we help each other in this world that the reality is that we are all striving to be better we have similar needs we have similar struggles and the most important thing is to be vulnerable and like we are doing right now share our stories so we can learn from each other so that was my main intention and my why I started to get into personal development and I remember my second year (laughs) that was a big year I went to my first event, the Tony Robbins event, which is called Unleash the Power Within. And it's, it's based on neurolinguistic programming. That's basically the science that study language and study your unconscious mind. Because most of the decisions we take and most of the things we do are embedded unconsciously. We are not even aware why we are behaving certain ways sometimes and i was really intrigued by this concept so that's how i started my journey and one of the things that inspired me the most is that when you go to these events you start meeting people uh, that are also very like-minded and that are also striving to be their better version so that's something that really energizes me to keep doing it and um, so I started with Tony Robbins, and then later on, I, you know, I've been involved in a lot of leadership opportunities. So that's something that really captivated uh, my my mind because I've realized you can do, you can have any type of job, but the leader that you have. Is going to make the huge difference. And I always say, I'll be, for someone that I really respect and I admire, I'll be willing to work that 24 hours because it feels right. It feels good. So I started also to, you know, learn about leadership and what makes a good leader and how can we help others and develop others, which is the most important thing. And somewhere around there, I was like, well, I love studying the mind, but the reality is that there are so many things going through in my mind, and that's when I started to get into meditation, which meditation is really the exercise of calming your mind, because the reality is we have a lot of distractions all the time, and we have a lot of competing priorities all the time, and at the same time, we are trying to take important decisions. and how do you feel our decisions are gonna be if we are all overwhelmed all the time? And meditation is just the technique that helped me silence my mind for like ten to thirty minutes every day and just reach to this space that I can be able to take a decision and listen at myself and listen at what's going on through my mind. Um yeah, so that's how I got into the whole personal development world. And that that's something that has helped me hugely. And like I told you before, one of the things, because my main goal was to help others. I was like, I want to help others and inspire others and help them go through this journey of self-discovery. And one of the things that I realized is that you know, I started meditating seven years ago, but not consistently. And one of my goals last year is to be more consistent with what I'm passionate about. And I was listening to this speaker, his name is Kyle Sees, and he actually did this 100 day meditation challenge. And I'm like, I'm gonna do that. And then people were like, no way, Janet, that's, that's, crazy are you gonna tell publicly that you're gonna do a 100 day meditation challenge and post one video per day you meditate i don't i don't think that's possible it's gonna be so hard and i'm like challenge (laughs) acceptance i'm gonna decide that it is possible and and that's something for you know like everyone who is listening to acknowledge right sometimes we set goals that people sometimes believe that we are not going to achieve them. But you need to believe in yourself. And most important, you need to have a strong why just to keep moving forward. And one of the things that helped me in those 100 days is, this is going to sound cliche, but it's very true. I took one day at a time. Because if I start thinking on day one that I have 99 days to go, believe me, I'm going to be like, forget about this. I cannot even see the end. So just taking one day at a time and reminding myself, I just need to meditate today, do a video, and then tomorrow I'll worry about the next video on the meditation. Just taking one day at a time. And on Valentine's Day, I finished my 100-day meditation challenge, which I was really excited about. And, I mean, the whole result really is having a more calm mind where you can really hear what is going on through your head which are a lot of thoughts but the more you do it the more you realize you start responding to situations versus reacting to them based on what you have learned in the past right you start to create your future rather than repeat your past it's like a very entrepreneurial approach also so I think that. How it
0: has helped me a lot. <laughs> no, and look, and and these hundred every, and I I've seen I didn't see a hundred out of them. I'm not gonna lie, but I saw. <laughs> you are so funny. I, I listened to several of them, and it's like no, they're out there. And what caught my attention was that it wasn't like oh, it was a hundred days where you were just going to work and being at home all the time. Like you were on the road you're traveling right you were there's hotel rooms there's like okay you're you're at a training at the corporate office and you got a break like you were like working it in throughout the day and what i love too is like you said it's you know valentine's day and and to cap things all off like you had uh you know you had a guest on your on your
1: yes uh, my boyfriend right?
0: so you even wrapped it into valentine's day like hey we're not gonna let valentine's day and and, and that day get in the way of of you finishing off so you just kind of rolled it into your into your day which is uh which was pretty amazing and encouraging uh to see for for sure um
1: yes and So one of the things that helped me, Tony Robbins says, complexity is the enemy of execution. The more complex you make things, the least you are willing to execute them. So it's funny that you said that because I told everyone, my daily videos, I don't plan them. I just think one minute before what I'm going to say, I say it. I don't re-record them. Uh, If I'm gonna go to sleep, I don't have makeup. I'll just do it that way. But, you know, it's trying to make it like the least complex as possible so you can continue following through
0: with it. So I, that's funny. I appreciate your observation. Oh, for sure. Did, did you like, while you're doing these hundred days and like, is that also is like keeping you accountable to think about your day. Did you any, any, what I'll say, like unforeseen consequences, like anything, you know, that you discovered about yourself or, you know, that, that you hadn't thought about that came because of this hundred days.
1: Yeah. So, one of the things that I've always struggled with is this uh, seeking of perfection. You know, I was, my initial goal was to make a one hour every day. And I'm like, no, I need to do one hour. But there were times, Manny, to be honest with you, that I just had time for 30 minutes. And that's when I realized cons- I'm going to prioritize consistency over perfection and if I'm recording a video and I'm not looking great because I mean I don't know physically I didn't have a great day (laughs) you know I'm gonna push through it and make it happen so one of the things that I learned definitely is consistency is the key for get our perfection (laughs) you know like in this type of goals and initiatives what is important is to repeat the same behavior so you can learn from it The other thing I would say, it's incredible when you share your story, how many people you can inspire and how many people you can help. And that's why I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you started this podcast, because these are the kind of things that make me passionate about life. And like every time someone would message me, I would be so excited and I just you know, that was part of my why to also inspire people and create awareness of what was going on. But it, it, even if it was 100 days, I still meditate every day, you know. But but that was just an exercise of consistency and also inspiring others to, to be better. Hey, mm-hmm.
0: And I appreciate that. So one of the last uh, things, that a couple of things I want to cover before we, we wrap this up, right? So you also have... As one of your titles, this uh, NLP master practitioner, right? And and I think what yes. caught, what, what caught my attention about. Well, I'll let you talk about it. Uh, just uh, tell me what it is, why you decided to, and why you decided to do it.
1: Yeah. So the first time, actually. Yeah, it wasn't on Tony Williams. The first time I heard about NLP or Neurolingu- linguistic programming was when I went back to Cuba to visit my family seven years ago. After 12 years of not seeing them, I forgot to mention that part, but there were 12 years in my life that I didn't see my dad. So he saw me when I was 12 and when I was 24, oh. <laughs> literally. The same with my uncle and my grandmother. And when I went back, my uncle... He loves reading, and I do love reading. I discovered that when I started full-time and I started to get into this personal development topic. He gave me one book about neurolinguistic programming, and I found it so fascinating. And neurolinguistic programming is basically the study of behaviors and the study of how we take the decisions we take based on our past programming and how can we break those patterns to create new behaviors. Neurolinguistic programming is even used in people who have a phobia because it's basically a set of strategies to create new behaviors. There, There are even strategies to stop smoking, strategies to Um, I don't know, stop being lazy or strategy to dislike certain food is just basically the language of your brain. And what NLP says is that the brain processes information based on images. So a lot of these strategies in NLPs is through um through the exercise of changing different images and right now it's really hard to understand but i'm trying to describe it as uh as best as possible but it's basically a study of the unconscious mind and how we process information and how we can break those patterns to create new behaviors and stop those behaviors we don't desire anymore
0: Uh, and 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 I'll tell you yeah. again, like what I was going to start to say is, hey, what caught my attention and looking, and I appreciate you explaining it uh, the best you could there. You know, but but it was just another testament to, uh, hey, you're continuously trying to learn. And the part that caught my attention, uh, you, you know, about about this, and you shared this publicly, was, hey, that you did some of this training like you would take vacation time like this was your vacation yeah. like your vacation for a year was to go to you know two week uh you know workshop or 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 training right to 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 develop and explore this and that's like wow that to me is is it's one thing to say hey i'm going to better myself or or continue some education it's another thing to actually put it in practice and and in this case like sit there and take vacation to to accomplishment so <laughs> It was just something that it's like, wow, this person is, is legitimately trying to do uh, practice what they preach, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I love that you mentioned that because to me, it's so normal that I completely forgot about that part. But it is, yeah, it's crazy because these trainings, they are, you know, the last one I took, which was the master. I first took the practitioner one, which was four days, and the master NLP one was 10 days. And these are 10 days of starting at 9 a.m. and finishing at 8 p.m. in a hotel room with like, you know, like a hundred more people that are interested in the same, you know, mindset. And most of them are entrepreneurs. So it's really, I mean, it's amazing just to be surrounded by different people in different environments. And yeah, like even though these are like 11, 12 hours days. Like we said before, I never feel more energized than when I finish this training, which is like the contrary of what you would think <laughs> of a vacation. Yeah. But it's what you're passionate about, like recruiting and helping, you know, students and, and everyone else. So I, I love that you mentioned
0: that. <laughs> no, well, for sure. Look, Annette, I, I appreciate you, of course, coming and telling your story and and unraveling all those uh, bits and pieces uh, for us because I think it's pretty powerful. Somebody wanted to get a hold of you or take a a glimpse of these 100 days. How can they do that?
1: Yes, so... I'm available through Facebook, Janet Borrego, and in Instagram, I definitely have my 100 videos, and I share a lot of content around personal development. The handle is Janet Borrego, Janet with Y, Y Y-A-N-E-T-B-O-R-R-E-G-O, underscore coach and that's it yeah in instagram that's the one they should follow me on and And i'll
0: be happy to help yeah and i'll make sure and put include that in the show notes yeah for sure well Yannette, thank you thank you thank you for uh uh, for being flexible and making yourself available as i started this thing by saying even though i pushed this on on you a couple times but i think it's uh, worth it and I look forward to, to that young person that uh, who hears this story, who resonates with it and makes contacts with you and that you continue to uh, help uh, help them. Right. That's uh, why we're both doing this Why I'm you know, taking the time to record it and make it available. And I think the same motivation for you to actually get behind the phone and tell your story, because we want that one person to reach out and, and, and you know, ask questions.
1: Thank you so much, Mani. And again, I'm so happy and I'm so proud that you are doing this because we need more people sharing their stories and inspiring others. And I'm really appreciative that you thought of me. So thank you for providing the platform. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you for that.